Now let's join together in prayer before we read our, our scripture reading. Great creator, gracious sustainer, loving redeemer, God, grant us this day a passion for your word so that in our hearing we may turn our hearts and minds to you. May our distractions be forgotten this morning so that your word would captivate and inspire us. Speak to our hearts and uplift us, Lord. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Uh, For today, for the sermon today, I'm going to draw heavily from both Genesis 1 and 2, but for our scripture reading, I'm just going to read from Genesis chapter 2. To do Genesis 1 and 2 is a lot, so we're just going to focus the scripture reading today on Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 9 and 15 through 25. Listen now to God's word. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle, and to all the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Um... Valentine's Day finds its origin in the person of St. Valentine. And while in Protestant churches we don't venerate uh, certain special saints or pray to them, we do honor the lives of the faithful. Um, Those that have gone before us, those saints of the past, are important to us. They're a part of our story as God's church. St. Valentine lived during the third century in Rome. 
He is known, uh, at least in the Catholic Church, as the patron saint of courtly love. And so, obviously, popular culture and Hallmark have made a whole industry out of this. Uh, but he's also known, I didn't know this, he's also the patron saint of epilepsy and beekeepers. So if you know any beekeepers out there, you know, maybe, you know, I, I didn't know that. But there you go. But there are a few uh, different legends about St. Valentine. And while the details of these legends are a little different, um, all the accounts essentially end with him being martyred for his faith on February 14th, 269 A.D. And then the day that we actually celebrate St. Valentine's Day, it was instituted 227 years later on February 14, 496 A.D. It's been around for a long time, this holiday, this celebration. And I thought I'd just kind of briefly talk about two of the accounts, or at least the most popular accounts of St. Valentine. And the first described Valentine um, as being, he was under house arrest, and during his arrest, Valentine was discussing the Christian faith with uh, Judge Asterius. And the judge put him to the test. He's like, okay, you're a man of faith. We've been talking about this. I'm going to put you to the test. And he brought his adopted daughter who was blind to Valentine and said, restore her sight. And so Valentine uh, began to pray and he put his hands over the little girl's eyes and restored her sight. And then to which the, the judge converted to uh, Christianity. He was baptized. His whole household was baptized. All the Christians who were imprisoned under his authority, he, he set free. Um, and, and Valentine went free. But then he was later uh, imprisoned again. And when he was arrested again, he was sent to Emperor Claudius II. And when Valentine tried to persuade the emperor, emperor to embrace Christ, um, didn't have quite the same response. Claudius had Valentine executed. So that's, that's kind of one, the, probably the most popular um, depiction of Valentine or story of Valentine that, uh, that I saw. But there was another one I thought was, was interesting and kind of feeds into this day of Valentine that we celebrate nowadays. But this other story was that Valentine was secretly performing marriages, Christian marriages, for couples so that the married men wouldn't have to join the army and go off to war. Um, and this obviously made the emperor mad. And so legend goes on to say that St. Valentine, he would cut out heart shapes out of parchment and give them to persecuted Christian men to remind them of their vows and of God's love. Well, I don't know, you know, what story is more accurate um, we know that Valentine lived in the third century. I mean, a lot of time has passed. But these stories are important in the sense that they're part of the Christian story. They tell of people who lived faithful lives, even up until the point of martyrdom. Well, today is Valentine's Day. Uh, often we don't think of St. Valentine himself. We think of, you know, boxes of chocolate and balloons and uh, date nights and things like that. But I thought, uh, you know, 2021 has given us a lot of heavy topics already uh, this last week, not excluding um, just news coverage of another impeachment. And so I thought I'd keep today 
I thought I'd keep the mood a little lighter. You know, it's cold outside. We've been going through a lot. So I thought I'd keep the mood a little lighter this morning and talk about my own, um, my very first experience with relationship and love and essentially basically make fun of myself a little bit. Um, My first love story, if you want to call it that. Well, in elementary school, you know, I had a few prior crushes before this, but I was in the sixth grade when I could say that I had my first girlfriend. And I say girlfriend with air quotes intentionally because, well, you'll, you'll see why. Well, in elementary school, in the sixth grade, or at least in my uh, sixth grade elementary school, everything basically happened on the playground during recess. You know, you weren't in class, you didn't really have teachers, you know, looking over your shoulder, you didn't have busy work to do, you were just free, free to run. And so this is when all the boys would just have free reign to just head out the doors and just run. I don't even know if we knew where we were going, we just ran, we would play wall ball, we'd toss a football, we'd hit each other with sticks, we'd do all sorts of things that just boys do, and we were, just had all this energy that we just needed to get out. And so during recess, didn't really think about much of anything. Just, you know, stick, swing, ball, throw. That, that's it. That was the extent of the depth of thought at recess, at least for, for my group of friends. However, many of the girls, however, they would do this weird thing where they would often group together in these small huddles, and I didn't really know why. Um, I didn't probably really think much of it, but I I suspected, well, maybe they just grouped together because they needed to stay warm, or, you know, they just, I don't know. I don't know why they did that, but come to find out, they talk um, when they're in these little huddles, and one of the topics, again, in sixth grade, I didn't know this, but they would talk about boys, and when one of the girls would, you know, mention a boy that she thought was cute, they'd giggle, and then the, the rest of the group would take it upon themselves to try to arrange basically this elementary school marriage um, for this, for their friend. Well, on this particular winter day, I guess my turn was up, and there I was, I was minding my own business, you know, running around with my sticks or whatever, and suddenly I noticed this group of girls, like, coming toward me like a wild pack of animals, and they, I knew there was some intent. You know, they, they had uh, mischievous intentions, so I took off and ran. I did not want to be caught by this group of girls because, you know, cooties and all sorts of things. But there was too many of them. Who would have known that these girls were expert pack hunters? It's like their numbers multiplied, too. It's like first it started out as like this kind of little herd, and then they started coming from all directions. Like they had this secret... Uh, communication alarm system that if they needed more people they'd send a signal out and then all of a sudden others would come in and try to join and there I was you know just I was cornered I was scared um, probably on the verge of tears fearing for my life I'm thinking this is the end okay you know and so I'm restrained and one of the um the, the orchestrators of this uh, unfair manhunt explained to me the situation that one of the girls that wasn't a part of that group thought I was cute and that uh, they wanted to know if I wanted to be her boyfriend. So understand, again, I'm held captive against my will. 
There's many more of them. I'm cornered. I'm defenseless. I'm fearing for my life. And if I, if I said no, my sixth grade life was over at that point. So I said, okay. And that was it. They, they ran off giggling and celebrating their victory. And the thing is, I had never spoken to this girl before. I barely knew who she was at all. But now she's my girlfriend. So I'm left there thinking, like, oh, well, that was kind of easy. That's cool. Got a girlfriend now. But I didn't want my guy friends to know that, so I kept it, you know, secret from the guy friends. Well, the next few days go by, and I still hadn't said a word to her. Like, we still had no communication at all with one another. Um, but word started to get around that we were boyfriend and girlfriend. So, you know, that made me kind of feel pressured and all that. Well, to add on to that, Valentine's Day was just around the corner. Panic really began to set in. And these girls on the playground, these, almost like parole officers, checked in with me to make sure that there would be a proper gift exchange between us. And so they, they came up with the plan and said that next Saturday I would go to her house and exchange the gifts. And um, it's at this point that I found out she literally lived down the street from me. I had no idea. But I needed to get this gift now or face severe consequences on the playground. So obviously I hadn't told my mom yet. I didn't want to make a big deal about this. But now I need my mom's help. And so I'm like, hey mom, I need, I need to go buy a gift for Valentine's Day. And, obviously, and then her interrogation starts. And moms do what they do. And she finds out what it is. And she gets all mom about it and everything. But we go to, the, we go to Target and I buy a stuffed teddy bear because that's what you do. And Saturday comes, feeling super nervous, but also want to appear pretty cool. And uh, my bicycle wasn't cool enough to, to go down the street. So I borrowed my brother's brand new BMX bike. I mean, this thing was sweet. He, it was like this green and black metallic paint, had chrome handlebars, chrome pegs. And, and so I don't know if I got his permission or not, but I took it. And I'm riding the bike with this giant stuffed bear that I'm trying to kind of hide because I don't want my guy friends on the street to see what I'm doing. And I get to her driveway, get off the bike, my heart's pounding. I go up to the door and I knock. And luckily, she answers and not her parents. And I can tell she's been anticipating this. She knew the plan because she was kind of dressed up a little bit and she had a little gift. But then it appeared, it, it real, I realized that words have to come out of my mouth now. Again, we haven't spoken before, so I, I was just, I fumbled over what to say. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> you know, bear. And, and she takes it. She smiles. She says, thank you. She returns a gift. And I said, see you Monday. And I left. Like, that was it. That was the exchange. And, but I got back, back on the bike, and I'm thinking, I did it. I'm the man. Like, I was riding home on that bike, feeling like I was flying through the air. And... It was, it was awesome. Now, of course, the relationship lasted about 12 days total. Um, I don't know what led to the fall of our relationship. Um, I think it lasted more days than actually words that I spoke to her. But that's the story of my very first Valentine's Day. It's not so much the Hallmark movie love story. Um, and in fact, I mean, it's not a relationship. That's not what a relationship is. Saying a few words 
you know, saying I'm boyfriend, girlfriend. That's not what a relationship is. We know that. But we find ourselves on this Valentine's Day, this day where we celebrate love. And in our scripture text today, we see the account of the very first love story. The passage describes God taking the man and putting him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. God gives the man freedom to make his home in it, to be nourished and sustained by it. And, I mean, it's just man in the great outdoors, and he just gets to go around naming stuff, like, you know, tree, grass, bush. It's like, that sounds pretty awesome. But God knows something about us. And maybe more accurately, God created us to be in community. He created us for relationship. He created us to be social creatures. While it's true we are created individually and unique with gifts, we are created to be social. And by our nature, we have this outward expression, this outward component that we are to live uh, into and to express God created us not to live unto ourselves and for ourselves, but to share life with one another and to live for one another. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, the chapter that I, I didn't read, if you'll remember, it's a familiar story, that after each act of creation, God said, it is good. But in our chapter 2 and verse 18, this is the first time where we see God say, it is not good that man should be alone. God has put us on this earth not to be an island unto our, ourselves, but to live in community and relationship with one another. And in close relationships where we share a common bond of existence and support and encouragement and ultimately love. Where we work together. We help one another. We care for one another. The story of Adam and Eve represents this closeness of relationship and I could go on here some more, but the story of Adam and Eve is actually not the first love story. There's an earlier one, and ultimately a greater one and more significant one. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 are, you know, they're not meant to be a, a science book. They are meant to be bold statements of faith about the God of Israel and the existence and purpose of creation and humanity. These first chapters of Genesis, they also set the stage for everything else that is to follow in the Bible. You cannot adequately know God, the God of Israel, without understanding some fundamental truths expressed in these first chapters that describe this connection between creation, humanity, and God. While science does ex its best to explain the, the what what something is and the how questions, how something works, how something came to be, it can't really answer the why. Why are we here? What is the purpose? And that's what the ancient Israelites were concerned with and what we should still be concerned with. What really matters is the why questions. Why were we created? Why do we exist? And for what purpose? And we have the answer here in Genesis. We were created for relationship. 
relationship for one, with one another, and relationship, most importantly, with God. The first and ultimately or essentially the most elemental love story is the one between God and humanity. And Genesis chapters 1 and 2 represent for us the unique relationship between creator and creation. Before I kind of really dig into more into this topic of relationships specifically, I first feel like I need to start with an underlying point, which is God made and ordered all of creation because God wanted to. God was not coerced or forced to create. It was not by accident or byproduct that creation happened. God chose to. God is sovereign. God is free. And God needs nothing else to sustain him. In Genesis 1-1, in this well-known verse, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, God acts and creates because God wants to, desires to, wills to, however you want to phrase it. God is free to do whatever God wants that is consistent with his nature, his character, and that fulfills his purposes. Well, I mention this because creation itself is an act of God's freedom. And in an act of God's freedom, it's an act of love. It's an act of giving. Looking out, you know, into the trees, the sky, maybe the snow that'll fall in the next uh, night or two, the mountains, the oceans, the animals, insects, all these things give testimony to the love of God, the God-giving of creation for us, for the praise of God. Now getting more to the points for today, we also see in Genesis 1 that human beings are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, and there is a special distinction made uh, to humans alone that is not made to anything else, that humans are made in the image and likeness of God. No other piece of creation has that component to it. Genesis 1 what we see there is a special relationship that God establishes with humans where God grants humans dominion and rule over all of creation. In Genesis 1, it, it really speaks volumes, but it speaks about, uh, also about the design and the function of creation as well as it, the special identity and the special status and purpose of humans. And I like this quote, Uh, While he was was reflecting on Genesis chapter 1, professor and author John Walton writes this quote, The purpose of all humanity is to be in relationship with God. That is why he created us, and is defined by the participation between God and humanity, which is represented from the start in the image of God concept. By our design and what we see... uh, God endowing the status to us, it shows us this sense of close relationship that God desires from us. You know, when we create a stapler, or maybe when we go, we don't create staplers, we buy a stapler, but when we have a stapler, you know, we don't create a relationship with it. It is merely a means to an end. It doesn't have any special dignity or power. It's a, it's a tool. That's all it is. Its value to us is only in its ability to fasten sheets of paper together. And if it doesn't do that purpose, then it's tossed away. 
God did not create us simply as just a means to an end. We are not a tool simply to be used at God's discretion or not used. God created us to share and participate with him in ruling creation. God created us to share in his image, which is to reflect his character and be his representatives on this earth. We can see all that more in Genesis chapter 1, but what about Genesis chapter 2? And specifically our text today. Genesis 2, at least to me, it, it sort of slows down the narrative. In Genesis chapter 1, it's this day of creation, and this day of creation, and this day of creation. These big things are, are happening. But Genesis chapter 2, it almost it just slows the narrative down, and it, it zooms in and draws out more of the detail in the story. And it gives us this ground-level, close-up view of this relationship between God and humans. And in verse 7 of our text today, it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You get the sense of that personal touch, that crafting, that, that God is like this potter, which he's described of as described uh, of other times in the Bible, and that we are the clay, we are the dust, and God takes us and forms us and molds us, breathes the breath of life into our nostrils and enlivens us. There's a Jewish scholar, Nahum Sarna, and as he commentates on Genesis 2, I, I liked what he had to say. I, included this quote as well, the very fact that the creation of man in the Genesis description is an exception to the rule of creation by divine fiat, and that solely in the case of man is the material form from which he is made explicitly mentioned, talking about the dust, implies emphasis upon a unique position for man among created things and a special relationship to God. This, indeed, is reinforced in many ways and varied ways. It is as though for the climactic performance of the usual act of will was reinforced by an act of divine effort. Man alone has the breath of life blown into his nostrils by God himself. The text in Genesis 2 emphasizes this special relationship with God. And it goes on to describe how God set man into the garden, this garden of God's own design, that it would provide for man's every need, providing that man properly cared for it and walked in obedience to at least God's one command at that point. And at this time, in this scene, in this, in this garden, there was between God and human this closeness and peace, intimacy and harmony. The end of chapter 2, what we read at the, uh, the end of that passage, shows that Adam and Eve were, were naked and unashamed, it says. They were fully exposed and unafraid. And this had less to do with physical nudity and being you know, self-aware about one's own body image and more to do about this intimate knowledge of the whole person, inside and out. Because of this pure and untarnished relationship between humans and God, there was nothing to hide. There was nothing to avoid. There was no fear or insecurity. 
This is what it is like to experience wholeness and complete satisfaction. And this describes what in the Jewish language or in the Hebrew language they might uh, call shalom, this ultimate sense of peace and wholeness and satisfaction. So here's the crazy thing. The God of the universe loves you and desires a relationship with you. If we just pause and think, we hear that a lot at church as Christians, we hear that a lot. If we pause and think about it, isn't it amazing? It's an amazing concept. The God and creator of the universe loves you and wants a relationship with you. Think about how big the universe is, how intricate it is, from the, from the tiniest cell, electrons, to the greatest galaxies and things beyond space and time, or in the heavens. Think about how small we are in the midst of all this. How absurd is it to think that there's this God who cares about us? The psalmist in Psalm 8 shares this sense of all. He says in Psalm 8, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Or mortals that you care for them? In the midst of all this that I see and all, these, all this creation, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? But the psalmist provides this transition, this, this beautiful word, the word yet. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen and also all beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That this transcendent God, this creator God that has created all things, cares for us and has lifted us up, has partnered with us that we would rule with God over creation. Not for our glory, but to cry out, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God, who are we that you are mindful of us? As the psalmist would say, yet God loves you. God has created us for relationship. God cares. God loves. And that is consistent with the message of the Bible from cover to cover, from very beginning to very end. The Bible is ultimately a great love story. This love story that trumps all other love stories. This Valentine's Day, give thanks for the loved ones in your life. Give thanks for the loved ones who have cared for you all of your life. Who partner with you in this life. Who support you and encourage you and nurture you. But consider too how God, the creator of the universe, loves you. This Valentine's Day, reflect as well on God's love. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.
I invite you to spend these next moments uh, during our offertory uh, in a time of prayer and reflection. Consider all that God has done for us. Consider God's love for you and his desire for relationship with you. read our scripture passage. Great creator, great sustainer, loving redeemer, grant us this day a passion for your word so that in our hearing we may turn our hearts and minds to you. Lord, may our distractions be forgotten this morning so that your word would captivate and inspire us. Speak to our hearts and uplift us, Lord. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. Uh, For the sermon today, I'm going to be drawing uh, both from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, but I'm going to spare you from reading all of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, so you're welcome. Uh, But for our our text today, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 9, and then verses 15 through 25. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth... When no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle, and to the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, see some of you dressed in festive red and hearts, and that's wonderful to see. Um, the origin of Valentine's Day is from 
St. Valentine. And while in the Protestant church we don't necessarily venerate certain uh, of the saints or pray to them, uh, we do honor the lives of those who have gone before us and those faithful examples of, of what it means to live out Christ's call in this world. And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about St. Valentine just, just briefly. He lived during the third century in Rome, and he is known, uh, you know, at least in the Catholic Church, as the patron saint of courtly love, which has also spilled over into popular culture and Hallmark, and you know, now there's this whole industry about it that they make lots and lots of money off of him. Uh, he's also the patron saint, I didn't know this, of epilepsy and beekeepers. So any beekeepers out there, if you're looking for a patron saint, St. Valentine, there you go. Uh, there's a few different, you know, it was so long ago, and you know how traditions and, and legends go. There's, there's a few different traditions and legends of Valentine, and while the details are a little different here and there, um, all the accounts essentially agree uh, on him being martyred for the faith on February 14th, 269 A.D., and the day that we celebrate, St. Valentine's Day, was instituted 227 years after his, his death on February 14th, 496 A.D. This is a, a long-standing holiday. It much, much, goes much further back than Hallmark. It's, it's been around for a while. The accounts of St. Valentine, at least kind of the two that I found that seem to be the most popular, uh, one of them, especially the most popular, this one, uh, the first account described Valentine as he was under house arrest, and during his arrest, Valentine was discussing his faith, the Christian faith, with the judge Asterius. And the judge then said, okay, you know, you're telling me all about this faith, I'm going to put you to the test. And so the judge brought his adopted daughter to him who was blind and said, restore her sight. And so Valentine prayed, and he took his hands, and he put it over the, the girl's eyes, and her sight was restored, and, and the um, judge Asterius was baptized, and his whole household was baptized, and all of the uh, Christian prisoners under his authority he, he released. Um, and then it was, and Valentine being one of them, but then Valentine was, was arrested again, and this time, he was uh, sent before Emperor Claudius II, and this time when Valentine uh, tried to persuade the emperor to embrace Christ, it didn't go quite so well, and Claudius had Valentine executed. The other story of Valentine that I, that I saw was that he was secretly performing Christian weddings and, uh, for couples, and what this did was the married men wouldn't have to join the army and go off to, to war, and this made the emperor mad. And so legend goes that St. Valentine would cut out heart shapes um, from parchment and give them to the persecuted Christian men to remind them of their vows and, uh, and of God's love. Again, tradition, you know, we don't know what actually happened here, um, but there's a central message in that those who have gone before us, who have lived faithfully before the Lord, you know, they're a part of our story in some way. They touch our lives, and, and you know, at the very least, we can say that St. Valentine, as we remember this day, if we get past the hallmark aspect of it, reminds us of 
God's love. And so I thought today, uh, since it's Valentine's Day and, you know, 2021 hadn't started off super great just yet, um, been a lot of heavy topics the past few weeks, I'd kind of stray away from a, from a heavy topic, kind of lighten the mood a little bit today. So to do so, I thought I would talk personally a little bit about my first experience with love and relationship and basically make fun of myself a little bit. So whatever. Um, this was my first love story, I guess, if you, if you want to call it that. You'll, you'll see why I'm kind of being a little comical about it. But though I had some other elementary school crushes prior to this, uh, I was in the sixth grade when I could say I had my first girlfriend. And yes, I mean girlfriend with air quotes because, again, you'll see what I mean. Well, in elementary school, at least in my sixth grade, you know, at my elementary school, I don't know what it was like for you, Everything basically happened on the playground at recess. You know, in class, you're busy, there's teachers, you've got all stuff to do. But recess, you are free. And so, you know, you got to do what you want. And this is the time when, you know, those doors would open after lunch and the boys would just run. And they didn't know where they were running. They just ran. They had all this pent-up energy and they just needed to get it out. So they play wall ball and throw a football and grab sticks and start hitting each other. I don't know what we did, just dumb things. But that's what we did. We didn't really think about much. We just had energy and needed to, to get it out. The girls, on the other hand, not, not all, but many of the girls, they did this weird thing where they would group together in these little huddles. And I didn't ever know really what they were doing. I was like, are they trying to stay warm? You know, is, what are they... It turns out, I didn't know this at the time, but they talk to each other, and they have these conversations, and they'd be in this huddle, and sometimes these conversations would be about boys. And so one of them would say, you know, oh, I think so-and-so's cute. Well, that was basically code, or whatever it was, meaning all the other girls, you know, would then giggle and have to take it upon themselves to arrange this elementary school marriage uh, between two people. Well, on this particular winter day, I guess it was my turn, um, there I was, recess, minding my own business, running around with sticks, whatever I was doing, and suddenly I see this group of girls, like, coming in my direction, and this is scary to me, and so what do I do? I run, can't let them get me, like, this, no, but the thing is, there was too many of them. I don't know, it started out as, a, it was weird because it started out as a, a kind of a contained small group, but the thing is, they are incredible pack hunters. And so I think they have this kind of um, secret code communication system that if they need to get more recruits, they just send out this secret code and all of a sudden they just start coming from all directions. And I remember I was, I was cornered, I didn't have anywhere to go. They're closing in on me. I'm just, I'm a poor, helpless prey, you know, in the midst of this pack of sixth grade girls. And I, I'm just, I'm restrained. Okay? I'm just, I'm like, okay, we're just going to try to get out of this alive at this point. Didn't know what they wanted. And the orchestrators of this unfair manhunt uh, then explained to me the situation. That there was this girl that thought I was cute, and they wanted to know if I wanted to be her boyfriend. Again, 
I'm scared to death. I'm, I'm captive. This is all foreign to me. Like I was having a good day and now I'm, I'm here and I don't know what to do. Fearing for my life. And I knew that if I said no, basically my sixth grade life was over at that point. I didn't know what was going to happen, but it wasn't going to be good. So I said, okay. <laughs> and then they ran off. And, you know, giggling and celebrating their victory. And so there I was. So I was like, I never talked to this girl before. I didn't even really know who she was. But in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, I've got a girlfriend now. That's kind of cool. But I couldn't tell my guy friends that because that's, that's still, you know, we don't do that. Well, the next few days go by. Still hadn't talked to her. No conversation. Uh, but the word had started circulating that we were boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever. And it gets worse because Valentine's Day, I find out, is right around the corner. And so panic really began to set in at this point. And the girls on the playground, they basically act like p parole officers at this point, And they check in with you just to make sure, you know, there's going to be a proper gift exchange and you're going to be there at the right day and time. And they set this whole thing up. So on Saturday, I know I'm supposed to go to her house and do a gift exchange. And they set all that up and I was just like, okay. Um... I knew that if I didn't, there would be severe consequences uh, that following Monday, so I knew this was serious. Uh, and obviously, you know, I'm sixth grade. I didn't tell my mom I had a girlfriend yet because moms are moms, and, you know, boys just don't want to tell their moms things like that. But I needed to go to the store and buy a gift. So I'm kind of like, Mom, I need to go buy a gift or something. Some, And she starts interrogating me. She gets the truth, and, you know, she does her mom thing. And uh, anyway, she takes me to Target. I buy a teddy bear because that's what you're supposed to do. And Saturday comes, the gift exchange day. So feeling pretty nervous. But I know that or I wanted to arrive in style, and my bike wasn't cool enough to do that. My brother had just gotten a brand new BMX. I mean, it was a sweet bike. It was like this green and black metallic paint and chrome handlebars and chrome pegs. And you know, remember pegs? And I was like, I don't know if I got his permission or not, but I was like, I'm taking that. And I got the teddy bear, and I'm trying to hide it because I don't want my neighborhood friends to see me, you know, escorting this bear down the street. Oh, I found out she actually lived down the street from me. Didn't know that before. But when I was told that I had to do the gift exchange, they told me exactly uh, where to go. So that was all explained to me. And I go, and I get to her, her driveway, you know, kind of get off the bike, and I'm walking up the door super nervous. Knock at the door, and I'm just praying, like, please, no parents or whatever. Luckily, she answered. She'd been anticipating this uh, gift exchange. She'd kind of dressed up a little bit. Uh, I, I stood there, and then I realized, oh, words need to come out of my mouth. I, I hadn't thought about this yet. You know, this was all new to me, so I was like, happy Thanksgiving, bear. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know exactly what I said, but it was basically short and sweet, happy Thanksgiving, here's this. And she said, thanks, and she had a gift for me. And then I said, see you Monday. And that was it. Shut the door, and I just, I remember thinking, I did it. Like, I'm the man. So I'm like riding the bike home, like feeling like I'm cruising in the clouds. And, you know, of course the relationship lasted a total of about 12 days. Uh, I think I said less than 12 words to her in total. And that's the story of my first Valentine and my first love. It's not the Hallmark uh, movie love story. In fact, as we know, it's not really a relationship. I mean, it's silly or whatever, but it's not what a relationship is.
So this Valentine's Day, this day of love where we celebrate love, I want to look at this story that we uh, see in the Bible. It talks about the very first love story. And the passage describes God taking the man and putting him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And God gives the man freedom to, to make it his home and to be nourished and sustained by it. And, you know, if you think about it, it's just, I was thinking about this, I was like, so it's just a guy in the great outdoors and he just gets to go around naming stuff. Tree, bush, grass. Like, that sounds pretty awesome to me. But God knows something else about us. And here I mean the word us kind of just in, to mean all of humans. We are social creatures. To put that a little more accurately, God created us to be social creatures. You know, while God created us individually and uniquely, God created us socially. And by nature, we have this outward component. God created us not to live unto ourselves and for ourselves, but to share life with one another and to live for one another. And in Genesis chapter 1, the chapter I didn't read, remember how after each act of creation, God said, and it was good. When we get to chapter 2 and we see here in verse 18, this is where God said, it is not good that man should be alone. God has put us on this earth not to be an island unto ourselves, but to live in community and in relationship with one another, and in close relationships where we share a common bond of existence and support and encouragement, and where we work together and support one another and care for one another and pray for one another and love one another. The story of Adam and Eve represents this closeness of relationship. And I can go on and more about this, but I want to kind of shift this discussion a little bit. The story of Adam and Eve is actually not the first love story. There is an earlier one and ultimately a greater and more significant one. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you know, they're not meant to be a science book. They're meant to be bold statements of faith about the God of Israel and the existence and purpose of creation and humanity. In these first chapters of Genesis, it also sets the stage for this whole biblical narrative that's going to follow. And so we can't adequately know the God of Israel without understanding some fundamental truths expressed in these first chapters that describe this connection between creation and humanity and God. While science does its best to explain, you know, the what, what something is, and, and how, how something works, how something is what it is, science doesn't answer the why. The why are we here? What are we here for? And that's what the ancient Israelites were concerned with, and, and what we should still consider. What really matters is the why. And we have this answer in Genesis. We were created for relationship. Relationship with one another, but most importantly, relationship with God. The first and ultimately and essentially the most elemental love story is the one between God and humanity. Genesis 1 and 2 represent for us a unique relationship between creator and creation. 
before I elaborate more on this kind of this topic of relationship, I wanted, I felt like it was important to point out this really important underlying point, which is God made and ordered all of creation because God wanted to. God was not coerced, coerced or forced. Creation didn't just happen by some accident or chance or as a byproduct of anything. God chose to create, and God is sovereign, and God is free. God needs nothing else to sustain him. As we see in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God acts and creates because God wants to. God desires to. God wills to, however you want to phrase it. God is free to do whatever God wants that is consistent with his nature and character and that fulfills his purposes. And so I mention this to say that creation itself is an act of God's freedom. It's an act of God's love. As we look around, we can see God at work. This around us is a gift of God to us, for us. It's an act of love. Our very lives, the breath in our lungs is a gift of God. It's an act of love. So now getting more to the point of relationship in this. We also see in Genesis chapter 1 that humans are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. This is a special distinction that no other created thing shares. And we also see in Genesis 1 this special relationship and sense of dignity and purpose and, and um, honor that God gives to humanity and that we participate with God in ruling and in stewarding the earth over creation. And Genesis chapter 1 really speaks volumes about a number of things, but I wanted to highlight a quote that I found, and, and this is an author. He's reflecting on Genesis chapter 1. He's a professor and author named John Walton, and he writes this, the purpose of all humanity is to be in relationship with God. That is why he created us. It is defined by the participation between God and humanity, which is represented from the start in the image of God concept. You know, when we create a stapler, I don't know, a stapler, we don't create it for relationship. We create it you know, we don't give it any special powers or dignity or whatever. We just create it as a means to an end. It is a tool. That's all it is. And if it doesn't, you know, meet its purpose, it's basically worthless to us. We'll throw it away. God doesn't create us as simply this means to an end. We're not simply a tool to be used by God. God created us to share and to participate with him in ruling creation. And God created us to share in his own image, that is to reflect his character and to be his representatives on earth. We see that and, and much more in Genesis chapter 1, but what about Genesis chapter 2? What about the, the spe specifically the text from today? What I like about Genesis 2, if you think about Genesis 1, it's, it's, it's big stuff that happens. You know, it's day one, God created this. Day two, and these, these big things that happen. And Genesis chapter 2, to me, seems to kind of slow the narrative down. And not only does it slow it down, but it, it kind of zooms in. It draws out 
more detail. It gives us a ground-level, close-up glimpse of this relationship, this close relationship between God and humans. And in verse 7 of our text today, it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You get a sense of the, the personal touch and care that God put forth when he created humans. Later, God is described as the potter and we are the clay. There, there's this sense that God molds us and forms us and creates us because he cares for us. And he breathes the breath of life into us. There is something unique and specific about us as humans and our relationship with the creator there's a, a jewish scholar nahum sarna and he he commentates on genesis chapter 2 and i wanted to put this up as well he, he writes the very fact that the creation of man in the genesis description is an exception to the rule of creation by divine fiat or fiat command not the car and that solely in the case of man is the material form from which he is made explicitly mentioned. He's talking about the dust from which we are formed. And this implies emphasis upon a unique position for man among created things and, see what he writes here, a special relationship to God. This indeed is reinforced in many and varied ways. It is as though for the climactic performance of the usual act of will was reinforced by an act of divine effort Man alone has the breath of life blown into his nostrils by God himself. This text in Genesis chapter 2 that we see, it emphasizes this special relationship that we as humans share with the Creator. And the text goes on to describe that when God set man into the garden, this garden of God's own design, that it would provide for man's every need, providing provided that he properly took care of it and was a good steward of it and walked in obedience to, at this point, God's one command. And it was in this environment, in this space, this place, this time, that there was between God and human closeness and peace, intimacy and harmony. And as the end of chapter 2 shows us that Adam and Eve, though they were Naked, you know, they were unashamed. They were fully exposed and unafraid. And this had less to do with physical nudity and, you know, being self-aware about one's body image. This had so much more to do about this intimate knowledge of the whole person that God knows is inside and out. And because of this pure, untarnished relationship that they shared with God, there was nothing to hide. Nothing to avoid, nothing to cover up. There was no fear or insecurity. It was a place of wholeness and peace and joy, I imagine. This is what it is like to experience wholeness and complete fulfillment and satisfaction. This describes as, as uh, uh, the Hebrews would, would describe as the state of shalom, complete wholeness and peace. The creator God of the universe loves you. We hear that a lot in church. If you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard it your whole life. God loves you. 
and he does. But it's important for us to pause sometimes. I think Valentine's Day is a great day to do that, to pause and to think about that a little more. That God desires a relationship. Not an elementary school relationship like I described earlier. God desires a close, intimate relationship with you. And isn't that amazing? That's an amazing concept. You think about how big this universe is from, you know, the tiniest microscopic uh, little cells of a plant to the stars in the heavens. That the vast creation and universe and all this that we see and experience and peer through telescopes, that here we are and God cares for us. I mean, this is it's almost an absurd thing to think about. And the psalmist in Psalm chapter 8 shares this sense of awe. I love this, this passage in Psalm, in Psalm 8. He writes, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. It's that same question you know, that we've had for thousands of years. We look out at the vast stretches of the cosmos. What are we that you, creator God of all this, are mindful of even us? That's what the psalmist is getting at. But there's this powerful word that he transitions to next, and it's the word yet. Doesn't sound all that powerful. But he says, yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This culminates in praise. This sense of this transcendent God who would care about me, this lowly creation. My life is just but a breeze in the vast expanse of time and space, but God cares for us. Praise be to God. Friends, that yet is powerful. Though we are small and seemingly insignificant, yet God loves you. God has created us for relationship. God cares. God loves And this is the consistent message of the Bible from the very first pages and chapters all the way through to the very end. From cover to cover, the Bible is ultimately a great love story of God's love for us. So I encourage you this Valentine's Day, spend this day, you know, honoring and remembering and giving thanks for your loved ones and those who loved you. But don't stop there. Consider, too, how God, the creator of the universe, loves you and what he has done for you. Amen. In this time of um, offering ourselves, uh, one, I love, I love this song that uh, Kristen and Beverly are going to play. But allow the words of this song, amazing love, kind of sit in the words. Listen to the words and reflect on how God loves you and what is your response. I hope it's praise.
to you.